When we think about sacrifice and all that it means for us, it's, it is this humbling moment knowing that really none of us deserve this and, and that it means much to us today. Uh, but the whole purpose of this weekend is to remember that and to know that there are many that have gone before you to sacrifice, uh, sometimes in ways known, many times in ways unknown, uh, to, to uh, have you be in the place that you're in today. But when we think about Memorial Day weekend, Memorial Day weekend, what we often think of first is the official kickoff of summer, right? And like I said before, there's many who are gone enjoying their cabins and and the, the camping and all that, and it's, it's great, but we usually pack the weekend so full of things that we forget the whole purpose, which is to remember. That's what's so ironic about this weekend, is that it's so easy to forget all that has happened before us. And that's natural for us, because we are, by nature, very forgetful people, right? And there's a couple situations I'm sure that all of you can relate to, you come out from the store and you're at that moment of, where did I park my car, right? And it's this, this, this vehicle worth tens of thousands of dollars that you've only been away from for about an hour and somehow you've lost it. Or in the same vein, uh, where are my keys or where are my glasses? And you're looking all over the house and rifling through the cushions only to find out that it's in your hand or in your pocket. But there's so many different ways that we can be forgetful, that it's important to remember. And it's no secret that it often gets harder as you get older to remember things. And there's this couple uh, that were getting up in age, Edna and Owen, who went to the doctor, and he had suggested it's probably a good idea to start writing things down uh, because you're going to become more and more forgetful as you get older. So Owen and Edna went home that night, and they're watching TV in the living room, and and Owen said, I'm going to get up and make some ice cream. Would you like some too? And she said, certainly. Why don't you get me a bowl of vanilla ice cream? Remember to write that down so you don't forget. And Owen says, I'll remember vanilla ice cream. Oh, and, and put strawberries on top, she says. Write that down. I'll remember vanilla ice cream and strawberries. And, oh, I'll put whipped cream on top of that too. So Owen, you better write this down. That's three things now. I'll remember, he said. Vanilla ice cream, strawberries, and whipped cream. So we went into the kitchen and was in there for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And nearly an hour goes by, and finally he comes back out to Edna with a plate of eggs and bacon. And she says, Owen, I think you've forgotten something. Where's the toast? <laughs> Our memories are bad. And this is something that we have dealt with for generations. All the way back in the Old Testament, the people of Israel constantly forgot all that God had done. And so he instructed these moments to prime their memories so they would know what God had done for them and that they would become more appreciative of all that happened. And so on a weekend like this, where it's centered about around remembering sacrifice and coming to a deeper appreciation. We as Christians need to honor the one who sacrificed the most, and that is Jesus Christ, who gave for us, for all of us, the greatest sacrifice, which led to the greatest freedom, which is our spiritual and eternal freedom in him. And it's, it's remembering 
and acknowledging and appreciating this sacrifice that actually serves as the very start and the foundation of our faith. If you don't acknowledge and remember this sacrifice, then you have no faith in Christ. It's a sacrifice we didn't ask for, we didn't work for, we didn't earn. And remembering that, the price that was paid and all that was accomplished to this sacrifice brings you to a deeper appreciation of all that he has done. So today we're going to be reading out of the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Let me just pray very quickly before we read this today. So God, on this uh, topic of sacrifice, uh, we understand that very simply you gave us everything we could not give for ourselves, we could not give for one another, that you made the sacrifice that truly mattered the most. And this does not belittle uh, any other sacrifice that was made for us, but we acknowledge, God, there is no greater sacrifice than this. And so today, as we understand what you did for us on the cross, that we truly appreciate all that Jesus did as he died for us to set us free, not just now, but forever. So God bless this time. Uh, God, use these words, and may your truth just be uh, deeply planted in our hearts and our lives to know that you have done for us uh, the greatest, uh, you have completed the greatest sacrifice for us. May we be more thankful and rejoice in you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's start at verse 6 in Romans 5. You see, at just the right time, When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if... While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And we're going to take a look at these six verses, verse by verse today, because Each of these verses really explains the depth and the magnitude of the sacrifice and all that God has done for us. But I'm going to break it down into two major parts as we understand the price that Jesus paid, what he surrendered for us, and also what the sacrifice accomplished, what he purchased for us with that sacrifice. And the first is we understand what he, what he paid, what Jesus surrendered in verses 6 through 8. We read in verse 6 that at just the right time, while we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And what Jesus paid, what Jesus surrendered was everything. His whole life, all of who he was, he was the perfect man who is also the perfect God who came down and died for us, a death that he did not deserve, but that we deserved. And not because we earned it or that we impressed him, but because he loved us so deeply. He gave his very life for the weak, the broken, the sinner. And that's every single one of us here today. 
And we read there that he did this while we were still powerless. And the word powerless can also be translated as weak, sick, helpless. I like that word, helpless. While we were helpless, Christ died for us. But the word powerless or weak doesn't necessarily relate to our physical strength. That's how we think of it. But this is more of our moral strength that the moral position that we are in before God makes us helpless. We are spiritually weak. And just as we were powerless to resist sin, we are now powerless to overcome sin. And so a way of looking at this is that we were stuck. We were stuck in our sin. Maybe some of you had those moments where you were in kind of a compromised position, where you were completely stuck, no hope until someone else came to help you. And I remember a couple of moments uh, from my childhood where that were, was true. One of them was for me. And my dad was a custodian at a high school for 35 years. And he would often work some uh, overtime shifts, some overnight shifts, and things like that. And, and for a while, he worked a lot. Times are tight in our family. See, he was gone many, many hours a week. We'd barely see him. And uh, he'd always, I didn't figure this out until I became a dad. He would sometimes take one of us, like he had uh, four siblings, so five of us total. He'd take one of us along with him for some of these shifts. And it was because he said he needed our help. I learned after he became a dad, it's because he wanted to spend time with us, right? And so as these precious moments, I, I realize now what they were. But I was there to help my dad uh, in his shift. And one of the things he had to do was remove some boxes from the walk-in freezer in the school kitchen. And so he had propped the door open, and I went in. I was helping kind of take some of these boxes out. And then it was almost in slow motion, remember, he took a trip out to throw the boxes away, and the door came out of the little wedge and closed. And I was stuck in the walk-in freezer. And I didn't know that that big red button was to get out of the freezer. I thought it was like an alarm or something. So I thought I was stuck. And I was probably in there for three or four minutes, but I was banging on the door, really scared that uh, I needed someone to come help me. The only one that came that could come to help me was my dad. And we had a good laugh about it afterwards. He told me just to push the button next time. But that was a moment I was stuck, with no way out, completely powerless. Another time, uh, a good memory, when I grew up, my, my mom won Mother's Day, uh, we asked her as, as kids, what would you like us to do with you today? And she said, I want to go out for a hike with you guys. And so I was probably eight years old or so. We went to a nearby park, and we were walking along, and all five of us kids were in front of my mom, and all of a sudden we hear, help, help. And we turn around, and my mom is knee-deep, both feet into mud. And she was completely stuck. And now I know for that moment why she had five children, because it took all five of us... <laughs> to pull her out of the mud. And I think her sandals are still somewhere on the earth today. Uh, but she was stuck, right? She was powerless to get out by herself. But these are these moments that help us understand what the Apostle Paul is telling us, is that we, in our sin, were stuck with no way out. And Christ was the only one who could come and take us out of this situation of sin. That he died for the ungodly. And ungodly here doesn't just speak about the sin condition. It's not just our moral condition, but also speaks about our attitude. 
It speaks about our, our irreverence to God. And the emphasis here is that we often have this, this wrong attitude towards God, sometimes before or after knowing Jesus. Not only were we powerless in our sin, but we were ungodly. We had no desire to worship Him or, or serve Him. And it reminds me of the, in the Luke account, uh, in the triumphal entry, that Jesus has this moment before he enters Jerusalem, and this is really setting up all of the events that would lead to the sacrifice we're talking about today, he has this moment where he weeps over Jerusalem. And essentially what he's saying is if they, just, if they knew what I was about to do for them, and yet they don't get it. Some won't get it. Jesus died for the ungodly. He died for those even with the terrible attitudes toward God, whose hearts were not set on worship, but were set on rebellion. And everyone here has had those moments, right? Either actively or passively. Maybe passively, you just kind of become uh, nonchalant about your faith, or, or maybe you become forgetful, as we talked about today. Or maybe actively, you, you are ungodly, and that you are you're consciously rebelling against God. But either way, all of us here have and will continue to uh, attribute these, these, uh, these attributes of, of ungodliness. But Jesus died for you anyway. Christ died for the ungodly. And that's why I want you to know, if, if you're anyone here today that's saying, Jesus would never die for me. I'm, I'm too far gone, I've done too much, or I'm not worth it. Uh, I want you to know that's exactly who Jesus died for, was the people who didn't deserve it, the ungodly. And one of my favorite quotes from Charles Spurgeon uh, speaks exactly about that. And Spurgeon says, You will say, oh, I am the worst in the world, but Jesus died for the worst in the world. You'll say, I have no power to be better, but Jesus died for those who are without strength. You may say, my case condemns itself before God, but Jesus died for those who are already condemned. You might say, my case is beyond any hope, but Jesus died for those who are hopeless. Because Jesus is the hope of the hopeless. He's the Savior of those who are not only partly lost, but those who are wholly lost. Jesus died for the ungodly. And he did it, as we read here, at just the right time. And this is like that moment in the action movie where the person is, is stuck in their moments before this impending doom and all seems hopeless and broken and, and they are powerless. But the hero swoops in at just the right time. And that's how Jesus died for us, was at just the right time. And he saved you, and he saved you completely. As we go on to read in verse 7, that very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. This is speaking about two different kinds of people, the righteous and the good. And it might sound the same to you, but the implications here is that they're slightly different. The righteous is one who is outwardly righteous, who they make sure that you would know how righteous they are. And this is speaking to someone who's maybe a little more pious, who pontificate themselves before others and, and will show their virtue. 
Very rarely will someone die for someone like that because that person is exclaiming that they don't need any help. But for a good person, this is speaking of those who are uh, humble. They have this good character, and they're, they're kind of that flawless person. Maybe someone might die for them. Uh, the point, as we just read in verse 6, is that we are neither of these people. We are the ungodly. But this is showing kind of how the world views sacrifice, is that you would kind of pick and choose who you would die for. You would die for those who you consider good. And there have been occasions that people will choose to die for another and have that sacrifice, but that, in human terms, is the exception more than the rule. But Jesus died willingly for all. He died willingly for all of those who did not deserve it. And there's been no sacrifice before it that's like this, and there's been no sacrifice after it that's been like it. Jesus died for all. Verse 8 says, He demonstrated His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That basically recaps the two verses before this and summarizes it very succinctly. That God demonstrated His love for us and His sacrifice for us. It's one thing to say that you love someone. It's an entirely different thing to show someone that you love them. And this sacrifice was the demonstration of the depth of God's love for you. It's kind of like in a marriage. You know, I'm going to be married 14 years this summer, which is hard to imagine. I know for many of you, it might be more like 40 or 50. But if you had a marriage in which you, didn't never, which you never demonstrated your love for your spouse, and I said to Mandy, you know what? I promised I would always love you 14 years ago on the altar. What more do you want from me? And I never demonstrated daily how I loved her. It wouldn't make any sense. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us that we read here. That he had promised this love to his people for generations and for centuries. But now this demonstration proved his love for all his people and for us today. Jesus went lovingly and willingly to the cross, knowing exactly what he would pay. And the amazing part of this, as we read here, is that he did this while we were still sinners. There's no condition for us to meet. In fact, sinners is the lowest condition you can meet. That he demonstrated his love for us when we never demonstrated to him how much we deserved it. Christ died for this sinner. He didn't die for us because we were lovable or deserving or worthy. He didn't die because he saw some great potential in us. He died because we were powerless to save ourselves, and he loved us so much that he wanted to save us. He died for our sins. Even the sins we have not yet surrendered or confessed, he made an atonement for all of those who are not yet repentant. Jesus died, as we'll read in a moment, even for his enemies. The person writing this book is the Apostle Paul, who for many years of his life rejected Christ, who despised him and his followers and actively persecuted his church. And Jesus died 
for him. Jesus died for you. As we read on in this portion of text, we understand what exactly this sacrifice accomplished. And in short terms, it's reconciliation between man and God. It's a repaired relationship between a sinner like us and a holy God. And there's been many sacrifices in your life. Certainly, your parents have sacrificed much for you. Sometimes you receive sacrifices that really aren't a sacrifice. Uh, you might, uh, I, I received, uh, when we were married, a uh, friend of, of Manny and, and mine, uh, gave us this recliner that we'd really, really like. And we're talking it up, and, and it ended up being uh, just fit for the garbage. And, you know, the sacrifice is kind of like, thank you for this. Sometimes it's really little things. Mason's in the, in the spot now. If we give him a cookie, he's got to break it in thirds, right? And he's, he's developing this sacrificial attitude, which is really fun to see. But those are kind of little, you know. There's some really big sacrifices in your life, but none was greater or accomplished more than what Jesus did for you. And his sacrifice, as we read in the book of Hebrews, is absolutely sufficient to cover and take away every sin in your life. Okay, there's nothing that was done before or after that can be equal to this. And what we need to understand as we get into this second part, when we understand what the, the sacrifice accomplished, is that there's nothing we can do to add or subtract from that sacrifice. So those are the two big mistakes we come to when we think about the sacrifice of Christ. Sometimes you think we need to just do more. We need to add on top of what Jesus did for me. And this is what I'd call the Jesus and theology. We need Jesus and whatever we decide, we need to contribute on top of that. But we understand that this sacrifice by itself was enough for us and accomplished all we need for salvation and reconciliation. We also cannot subtract from this sacrifice. There's no amount of bad you can do to take away from the sacrifice that covered your sins. You're never too far gone. You're never lost. The sacrifice can bring you back. As we read in verse 9, that we have been justified by his blood and saved from God's wrath through him. And there's three important words I want to break down in that verse. The first is justified or justification. What, what does that mean? This is really a legal term. And it means to be declared innocent or to be set free, that the price is paid or waived. And this is talking about God's grace in your life, that you're pardoned from the guilt and the penalty of the sin. In return, you receive Christ's righteousness. You can be seen righteous or good before God because of this sacrifice, that we've been justified by his blood. Now, blood is an important word, and certainly it can refer to the actual physical blood needed to fulfill the Old Testament requirements of sacrifice, that there could be, not, there could be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. But the blood uh, that's used here by the New Testament writers can also talk about the kind of death that Jesus had suffered. And it really speaks to the violent, gruesome, and agonizing death that he went through. 
that he didn't peace, uh, pass peaceably in his sleep. It wasn't an accident, but this was a calculated and a willing sacrifice of God to, to experience a terrible death. And what that was, was the death reserved for a criminal. The death reserved for someone who was guilty. It's the death deserved for a sinner. And so what we understand is that Jesus died in our place in the, the kind of death that we deserved. And what was accomplished through that is that it would be saved from God's wrath. Saved from God's wrath. And, and the wrath that's spoken of here is not some vengeful, mean, uh, vindicative God, but rather a just and a fair God responding to sin for what it is. And we have this terrible tendency as people to minimize sin, to think that it's no big deal. You may say, oh, everyone sins, and sin is sin, and if I sin, God will just forgive me anyway. We forget how terrible sin is. And the reality is that all of the pain in the world, the things we have been praying about earlier today, are the result of sin. Sin is the foundation of every bit of evil and pain in the world. And sin with, carries with it a great penalty. The penalty of sin is death. God never wanted anyone to sin. That was our choice to do. And when we choose to do so, the last thing we should do is minimize it. We should recognize the severity of sin because with it comes the wrath of God. But Jesus took upon himself that wrath and this sacrifice so we don't have to endure it. That through this sacrifice, we are saved from God's wrath through Jesus. This is what he accomplished in this sacrifice for each and every one of us. Verse 10 kind of puts it a little bit more plainly. That we, through our sin, were God's enemies. When we think about the word enemies, you often think of the other guy. Right? You often think of the other people. And we're really good at drawing lines in our life and creating enemies through a lot of different things, whether it's politics or, or sports. And I'm always amazed that sports fans can fight each other in the stands uh, for no other reason except for one uh, guy is cheering for uh, guys in, in tight blue pants, and the other one is cheering for guys in tight white pants, right? And because of that, they can make each other an enemy to the point of, of physically fighting one another. There's many things we find that can divide us. But the reality is that all of us in our sin are enemies of God. We are considered an enemy of God in our sins. Yet, as we read, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. We were reconciled. That's what the sacrifice is accomplishing for us, is reconciliation. Let's talk about that word for a second. Reconciliation. This, at its most basic meaning, means to be restored in relationship, to be repaired in relationship. And reconciliation is actually the entire point of Jesus. It's the entire point of the sacrifice of the Son, is reconciliation. It's the entire point of the gospel we live and speak. 
reconciliation. That God, through his Son, can turn us from an enemy into a friend. And how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? What he's really saying is this. If if Jesus died for us when we were still his enemies, how much more will he save us now that we are his friends? And if God already showed us this ultimate act of love while we were still enemies, how much more will God save us now that we've been reconciled to him, that we've been restored in relationship with God? This is the incredible truth we can live as Christians that's all possible because of this great sacrifice of Jesus. We can be restored in relationship with God, not just now. Our faith is not just about a greater life now in our limited time on earth, but forever. This eternal reconciliation with God. And so verse 11 brings us to a fitting conclusion that we'll end with today. Not only is this so, so not only do we recognize this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, the word boast here does also mean brag, but more fittingly, I think it's translated as rejoice, that we rejoice in God, that we're bragging in God of what only he can do. And again, this means that this sacrifice and this reconciliation had nothing to do with us. We didn't work for it. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. It was all through the Son. It was all through Jesus. And so if there's any boasting and bragging and rejoicing to be done, it's in Him. We remember what He accomplished for us. It's because of his sacrifice that we can be repaired in relationship with God, not just now, but forever. And that is every reason to rejoice. Christians aren't called to always be happy about everything, but we are called to rejoice in everything. And Christianity is a joyful faith because at the heart of what we believe is a repaired relationship between man and and God, because of nothing we've done, but because of everything he has done, that a death penalty for all of us was waived, that we, the offenders, were released, and that we, the enemies, were turned into friends of God. We can have joy, because we understand that in this story, we were the helpless, we were the needy, we were the broken. And we had a hero. We had the great sacrifice who saved us, who made things right, who came in at just the right time to be the greatest sacrifice the world has ever known. And he did it for you. He did it for you. And so we can rejoice. We can boast in what God has done as we remember and appreciate his great sacrifice. Pray with me as we close. God, we thank you for this, and it's, it's humbling in a weekend like this to remember sacrifice, but especially as Christians to remember your sacrifice for us. And God, I pray that we would rejoice in this that as we remember all you've done, but God, that we would 
that rejoice in such a way, that we live in such a way, that this truth would be evident to those around us, that, that those who do not know or understand or appreciate this sacrifice would come to a place where they will. And understand that it's through you. It's through your atoning sacrifice on the cross that we can be considered friends of God, that we can understand uh, through that that there's a new and eternal life only through you. So I, I pray for anyone here today who maybe has never thought about this. Is their understanding, maybe for the first time in their life now, that they are in sin, that all have sinned and fall short of your glory, that they are stuck. They are unable to get out of this by themselves, but all they can do is reach out your, their hand to you. And Jesus, you reached out your hand to us by coming on the cross, that they would hold on to you, they would trust you, that your sacrifice is sufficient once and for all, and that they would follow you as Lord. And God, that's the place any of us, if we've been in faith for a number of days or decades, that's the place that we all started is appreciating your sacrifice and trusting in you as our Savior. So God, I just pray that this weekend, as it is a humbling weekend, uh, more than anything, we'd be humbled in you, appreciate all you've done, and rejoice in you, our Lord and Savior. We pray this in your name. Amen.